Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome everybody in the booth here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Good to have you with us. Our couple of days of beautiful weather short-lived. Very much appreciated. Any day in February that it's 60 instead of 20 or 30, we'll take it. But now a little misty out there, and uh, who? Do, what do we care? We're heading into the Carrier Dome tonight for Orange Basketball. As Max laid out, a big one tonight is number 10 North Carolina is in the Dome. Big opportunity for Syracuse to get a resume-building win. And the Orange with just the four regular season games remaining, and lots of talk about that relative to the bubble and all of the good stuff. We'll get into it uh, over the course of the show. We'll visit with Robbie Hummel of ESPN, former Purdue standout and NBA player. He had uh, North Carolina's Louisville game on Saturday night, a game with Carolina crushed Louisville on the boards and uh, really flexed its muscles in uh, what was their fifth consecutive win. Here in the uh, studio, we've got, among other things going on, a little NFL talk on uh, ESPN television right now, and they're playing the Super Bowl. And uh, showing some highlights from that. And uh, Paulie, I just came from a presentation at Newhouse, and I wish I could have stayed longer. But uh, Drew Esikoff, who is now a six-time director of the Super Bowl on NBC, just did this his sixth, is speaking to students up there. It's a jam-packed room. And if you're a football fan and a TV fan, man, we could have sold admission to this thing. It was It's that cool. It's still going on. And here's what he was showing the students. He took some questions. And maybe I'm just a geek about this, and I'm the only one that cares, but I think it's pretty neat. So uh, he first of all, he passed out handouts of the list of cameras that he had at his disposal for the game and their locations on a map all the way around the stadium, 50-some-odd cameras, including the pylon cams and some of the ones that aren't manned. Then the rigmarole they go through to rehearse the open and everything down to the coin toss. They bring a high school team from the area just to come out and have football being played on the field on a Friday so they can uh, look at human beings out there and focus the cameras and make sure all the cameras are lined up. Then he played the game, and what we were watching is, uh, in television terms, the program feed, which is what you see uh, in your living room. But the audio we heard was not only Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, but also his direction from the truck. So his uh, commands to the camera operators, the graphics people, the replay operators, and uh, very, very cool. And um, the game had just sort of started. There was only a couple plays in before I had to leave to come down here. But uh, the level of detail and workmanship that goes into putting on a, a full-scale television broadcast I find uh, fascinating and there's no bigger television show in the world that on one day than the Super Bowl. And uh, 100 million people watch it for a reason, but it was uh, really fascinating. And I hope the uh, the students that are up there appreciating the, uh, the resource that they've got made available to them because uh, it was pretty cool. 
I'm fascinated by what's on the TV right now. This is a great topic, but it's too well, 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 oh, the top names ten named of plays. plays. Yeah, like you know the immaculate reception. The you know why the, are they doing this today? Because the Philadelphia Eagles have oh, trademarked the, oh, the yeah. Philadelphia special. Philly special. Yeah. I so, thought here's my thing with the Philly special. I thought that couldn't have come off more dorky. Like when they in the press conference, they must have asked, you know, what's the name of the play or how did you uh, put it in or something. And then Doug Peterson says, you really want to know the name of the play? Because most football coaches are so tight about any type of information that he must think that's some big revelational thing like, oh, you really want me to tell you what we call it? And then you're waiting on the edge of your seat. What, what do you call it, coach? Tell me the name of this play. Well, we sat around. We call it Philly Special. Oh, my gosh. That's so amazing. And the people are like reacting because it's the one play you know the name of. After a Spider Two Y Banana or whatever, so this is all building now. It's got to be Miracle on Ice number one, right? How could it not be if they're doing the Immaculate Reception? Will probably be number uh, okay, one. Okay, well, if it is SB football, I mean, it's Fail yeah. Mary number four, yeah. Mer- Music City Miracle. They're all going to have Miracle in the name, thanks to uh, yeah, they had the again mini- Al Michaels in the uh, 1980 Olympics. So Music City Miracle. Okay, mm-hmm. this is one where Mike Keith on the uh, Titans radio call. There are no flags on the field, which. Still a great call, but he didn't give us any reason to wonder why there would be flags, yeah. and that's because Frank Wycheck's pass to Kevin Dyson may have been a tad forward. Certainly Bills fans view it that way. So that's number three. Let's ride this out. Number two, the butt fumble. So that's leave it. it's got to be only football then. Yeah. So number one, of course, would have to be the Immaculate Reception. But why Absolutely. would the butt fumble be number two? I think, again, overrated, but uh, our friend Steve Gregory is the beneficiary of that. You watch uh, Mark Sanchez runs right into his... Right guard, oop, on one hop, Steve Gregory, thank you. He takes it back six, and now he's got a beautiful wife and family and a home in Fayetteville. <laughs> and uh, number one, of course, the Immaculate Reception. What else could there be if you're limiting that which, to, oh, famously named NFL plays. Now I see which only football. In today's uh, review era, the Immaculate Reception would have been stands due to no evidence to overturn it <laughs> right, because right. there's never been a camera angle right. on whether or not that ball hit the ground or not. Right, right. Well, uh, a lot more. Speaking of that, so there's so that was the championship game or the round before that? Uh, was that the conference championship? Conference champ. champ. All right, so conference championship game. So I'll bet in, uh, in what year? In the 70s, 72 or a little later than that? Later than that. So, all right, so late 70s. I'll bet. I'll bet there weren't. Certainly not 20 and maybe not 12 cameras in that game. Yeah. Right? And we're just talking about the presentation of the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago and the director's uh, a few blocks away uh, at Newhouse right now, and he had 50 cameras, right? (laughs) They've got two sky cams, and they've got the steady cam, the guy who comes running through the end zone, and they've got all the pylons uh, with cameras built in, and they've got – reverse angle shots on the other side and they've got carts going back and forth and they've got human beings obviously manning cameras uh, at every uh, position imaginable so uh, very cool neat little thing there and uh, we ought to bottle that up that could have been a uh, open to the public type uh, presentation a few uh, a few folks who are in the know did swing by to uh, to check it out something I noticed now that you mentioned Steve, I didn't know Stephen Gregory was the one that recovered the fumble on yeah. the butt fumble Uh Another person on that list was uh, David Tyree with a helmet catch. Yes. was number five. So Okay, pretty QC. So you got two QC guys in there. Pretty QC. 
Speaking of Super Bowl television, I guess I, I should have spilled it at the time, but David Tyree, remember when I was talking about before the Super Bowl and I had a big gaffe at a party? So it wasn't really a party. It was me, Gedney, and Higgins watching the Super Bowl at my house. Uh-huh. We must have uh, forgotten to invite you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the problem is when you watch football with Gedney, he has the clicker and he wants to rewind it for every like pulling left guard and, oh, look at that, you know. So you can't really let him have control of the remote, but it was maybe on the table between the two of us. And he, of course, had rewound it, you know, for some arcane detail. And we're not live, right? So then at some point I must have been compelled to, hey, let's see what's on. I must have been, whether it was Twitter or something must have made me go to another channel or something during a commercial in the football game. So I go to another channel and I come immediately back. And the problem is now when you come back, you're live, right? You're you, So... The time that we're gone was only a matter of seconds. We come back and they're re- oh, that's maybe the greatest catch of all time in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so we missed it live. Higgins, of course, is a Giants fan. He's going berserk, and uh, a big, big faux pas on the part of uh, Gedney and myself to uh, to botch that. We didn't see it live, but we saw the many replays and certainly one of the great uh, plays in Super Bowl or, for that matter, sports history. All right, off and running. Big game tonight. Excited for it. Don't know exactly what we'll see there. Uh, in my mind. This one on paper doesn't look good for Syracuse in a, in a couple of reasons. Roy Williams will tell you about his team's weaknesses. They don't get back well enough. They're susceptible to teams in transition. They're susceptible to teams that can take and make a lot of threes. Syracuse doesn't do either of those. doesn't mean Syracuse can't win the game. One thing I'm certain of is they will hold Carolina to a, a much smaller offensive output than Carolina's used to. This is a very good uh, UNC offensive unit, but Syracuse's defense is extraordinary. Still a sixth in the country in field goal percentage defense, and I would expect the Orange should have the upper hand there. Will they be able to keep it going on the offensive end where Syracuse has been pretty strong? If not for all 40 minutes at Miami, they still have been pretty strong of late. We'll talk with Robbie Hummel of ESPN when we continue. Get his thoughts on uh, what he's seen from Carolina most recently. They've got the longest winning streak currently in the ACC. That's when we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Tonight, Syracuse welcomes North Carolina to the Dome. Syracuse game day starts at 5.30, tip-off at 7 on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth brought to you as always by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. We thank you for tuning in today. Orange basketball tonight at the Dome with a 7 o'clock start against number 10 Carolina. Tip-off uh, just past 7, pregame 5.30 on TK99. Good to have you along with us here today, back tomorrow and uh, Friday as well. The Orange play Duke Saturday night with a 6.15 start. Let's bring in our friend Robbie Hummel from uh, ESPN. Robbie's getting a lot more games in different conferences. He's all around uh, the country in uh, ESPN's college basketball uh, coverage and had North Carolina's last game on Saturday night at the uh, KFC Yum Center in Louisville. Robbie, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you doing? Good, man. Uh, you're kind of like the rover right now. B- Big 12 one <laughs> day, Big 10 the next, right? Yeah, no, I, I've been mostly in the Big 10 and Big 12, but I uh, got my first taste of the ACC the other night, which was, it was good. Um, kind of a crash course. I haven't watched a ton of ACC basketball because I haven't done any games, but no, it was cool. It was, uh, it was a fun night to uh, kind of get to cover that kind of game. And the nice building to do it. That one might be the best in college basketball. Man, that place. That is big time. I, I'd i heard good things about it, never been there, um, but they did a great job. It, it's, it's got a cool feel of college basketball while also being a pro arena. I guess you also got 
the last day before the shoe fell, you know, in, in terms of yeah. level, right? I mean, One so of the last happy days, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah, tough times down there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what what falls out from here. But you're right. Um, probably it was a tough day for for any Louisville fan yesterday. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, what remains to be seen, our friend uh, Greg Paulus, uh, Syracuse native, is a graduate or a, a assistant coach there now, and uh, certainly that coaching staff. They knew going in that uh, it could be a short-time operation there, and, and we'll see what uh, is next, certainly, for Louisville. But uh, their appeal uh, was denied yesterday, the banner coming down for 2013, et cetera. But we wanted to talk with you, Robbie, about your perspective on Carolina, a team that, uh, while, yes, Virginia's number one in the country, Carolina's got the longest winning streak in the league, and a team that looked maybe susceptible early in the season and uh, inconsistent has gotten it together right now in a five-game winning streak. Yeah, and, and they have a lot of pieces. I mean, you look at their roster, and, and whether it's their starters or their guys coming off the bench, there's a lot of talented guys. So guys that were either highly recruited or have produced at a high level in college, uh, it all starts, I, I would say, with Joel Berry. I think he's kind of the team's leader and has been through so many big moments, whether it's being the Final Four most outstanding player or, or whatever. I mean, he's, he's seen it all. He's won a national title. He's, he's played in big games. Uh, Luke May is a guy that, to me, is really impressive because so many guys would make a shot like he does. He's made one of the iconic shots for an iconic program in college basketball and would just be like, man, I've arrived. <laughs> and it's it's so clear that this summer he just got in the gym and, and worked his butt off and has become one of the best players not only the ACC but really the entire country. And I, I just was so impressed with the way he – has improved, and you see him, and he really has improved all facets of his game. Um, the thing that's really stuck out to me, though, was you, Roy talks about how they've gone small and they're playing four guards pretty much, and Luke Mays is power forward at, at center, and they're just crushing teams on the glass. I mean, they just they out-hustled, they out-toughed, and, and they just beat Louisville up on the boards, and, and it really was the difference in the game. And every time Louisville made a run, it just seemed like they, they'd get a, a stop defensively but not close the possession out with a rebound. Rebounds in the Louisville game were 44-32 Carolina. And uh, if Syracuse fans think that's bad, last year in Chapel Hill, rebounds were North Carolina 44, Syracuse 24. Yeah, and, but last year they had the bigs to do it. You know, they <laughs> right. have Kennedy Meeks and they have some of these these big guys that uh, – I forget the freshman's name that left, Tony. Uh, yeah, B- uh, Bennett or starts with a B. Yeah, Not right. Bennett. Big, but they had big, they had big bucks. Tony Bennett. They had big guys though. Where, where if you got out rebound, you look at it and be like, "Hey, I mean, they're a more physical team. They've got big bodies." This year, I mean, they're really playing. I guess Cam Johnson's what six eight, six seven in that area. Luke Mays six eight. They don't have the bodies like they did last year to, to really impose their will. They just they really get after it, and it, it's it's really an effort deal. Cameron Johnson at six eight is a perimeter oriented player. He's the grad transfer from Pittsburgh. Theo Pinson at six six is a uh, driver, not much of a shooter, very willing to pass. He's a guy that we may look for tonight. He and Luke May both at the high post against the zone. We can come back to that. Uh, you know, May. I was looking through my notes, Robbie, from last year's game, getting ready for this one. And Luke May averaged five and a half points per game last year. He had eight in the, in the Syracuse game in Chapel Hill. But scouting report on him then last year was, you know, hardworking guy, screen setter, crashes the boards. You know what? Right. He's going to average a double-double in the ACC this year. He's at yeah, 18 no, points he's, a game and, and uh, nearly 11 rebounds. Right. He's, he's played like a grown man in a grown man league. So I, I think just the improvements he's made. And then you mentioned Theo Pinson as well. He, he's a guy that can really distribute. They've 
they've gone to him kind of in the pinch post at times this year where they've isolated him and just had him make plays or make, just tell him to go make plays. Um, he, he's been impressive as well. But they, they have a lot of pieces um, from their team last year that have won. So it's not a surprise that while they had some struggles earlier, they've kind of figured it out here as of late. Robbie Hummel's our guest, uh, All-American at Purdue, went on to the uh, NBA and now starting his uh, broadcasting career at uh, ESPN, involved with the Big Ten Network as well. And Robbie, um, you know, so rare in college basketball in recent years to think that a key piece off of a national championship team would return. The other times that Roy Williams has won the national title, he's had to reload his pretty much entire team the next year. You know, Syracuse won in 03 and the couple guys obviously returned and, and went on to thrive in Jerry McNamara and Akeem Warwick and company. But, you know, the biggest piece, Carmelo Anthony, went pro. How much of a luxury, and I'll ask uh, Coach Williams this tonight, how much of a luxury is it to bring back uh, considerable contributors to a team that won it all? No, it's huge. I mean, I, I guess the only time that you can really consider or even remember this happening would be Florida. And they, they brought everybody back. back, to back. And they had that goal to – to run it back and win it again. So for for them, clearly those kids enjoy being at school. They enjoy being around one another. But, yeah, it's a huge luxury for Roy because he doesn't have to reload. And he's got guys that just know what's going on. When you don't have to coach effort and you can just you know actually coach your team, uh, for those guys, it's, it's a huge advantage. And I'm sure Roy would tell you he was thrilled, obviously, to get those guys back. Um, they, they've been – really very good for the last month. Like you said, they had their struggles, but not many coaches are, are afforded that, that luxury of bringing back kids after you do win the title. Wasn't it fair to say, though, that maybe they did have to coach effort for part of you know, the season? I think for part of the season, yes. And I think now in this in this winning streak, it's been much better where they're playing hard and they're playing the right way. Um, it was funny. I asked Roy Williams to shoot around. I, I just, from watching them in the past, they run a ton of that Carolina break. And this year, in the couple games I watched just to prepare for the game, it was like, are you guys running it? And he told me, yeah, we run it the same. It just doesn't look the same because we, we haven't executed, which is a little strange because, like you said, they do have experienced guys. But um, they've clearly figured it out, and they're, they're certainly on a roll. Coach Beheim said something to the same effect here recently that uh, North Carolina might not look like they typically do because of their makeup this year. Uh, and this is a team that doesn't appear – to have you talking about all the pieces, but that's primarily that starting five, and, and really not a ton beyond that. Which certainly uh, Syracuse is not in position to uh, to quibble with that at all. Sterling Manley's given them something off the bench a little bit. The uh, freshman from Ohio had eight points against Louisville and has been on a nice tear over the last uh, three games. But their bench right now, with uh, Jalik Felton suspended, is all uh, freshmen and sophomores and just kind of bit players. It appears. Yeah, and if you look at the the box scores, it's it's like Brandon Robinson will get two or four points here, and you mentioned Sterling Manley. Um, those guys really, the the rest, like you said, they're bit players. They fill in. Their starters are the guys that get it done. If you can shut those guys down, get them in foul trouble, Syracuse can certainly put themselves in position to win. And I know Syracuse, like you said, isn't the deepest team this season. It's not a typical Syracuse team that you'd see, but North Carolina really heavily depends on their starters. Yeah, and uh, well, Syracuse more than any other team in the country actually playing uh, fewer minutes off the bench, literally, than than uh, any team in America to this point. And it's uh, for really the fourth season in a row here, Robbie, bubble watch. Now, one of those years they got into the tournament and made the Final Four, but uh, you know, you could, it, it grates on people, I think, to feel like they 
there has to be more web page hits from Central New York than any other community in America <laughs> in recent years. Going to these various uh, bracket sites and stuff and checking out the fate day to day. You know, maybe put us in the mindset of a player. You know when this is this is going on, and the, bracketology in, in your day, although it wasn't that long ago, maybe wasn't quite as sophisticated. But uh, do you right. just show up at the gym every day, or are you checking this stuff to to feel like on a daily basis whether you're in or out of the tournament? Oh no! I mean, fortunately for us, only my fifth year um, after I'd come back from my knee injury did I ever really have any concern that we'd make the tournament. And we won a, a, a big game in late February at Michigan on their senior night, which kind of put us in the tournament. So there was never really a time where we were super worried. But with that being said, throughout the season, we definitely were going to Joe Lunardi's page on ESPN <laughs> to check where we were. That, that we were very aware of that. Um, it's fun. You know, you, you play the games to get to the NCAA tournament. And when you can look up, maybe you don't look so much after a couple losses, but after a couple wins, you definitely go and see you know, how far you've gone up. And it was always fun to, to look. Fortunately, at Purdue, we never really had that scare. But I, I can understand as a player or even as a fan, you, you know, Syracuse people have become spoiled. You've been to the tournament so many times, and Jim Beheim's had a great run, and, and obviously the fan base expects them to be in the tournament every season, as they should. It's, you kind of have a lull here as of late, and I understand why the fans would be a little antsy. No doubt about it, and uh, we'll see if they can get on the right side of the bubble. Certainly, as we always say around here, when you play in a conference like this, you have opportunities. Syracuse has four, yep. four remaining regular season games, but three of them are against top 15 teams. So if you win any of those, then uh, now you're starting to improve your quality win ratio. No, you play Duke in, in Carolina in the next two. Like you said, tough stretch, but hey, you win those games, and you can put yourself on the right side of the bubble really quick. Last thing, Robbie, what about those uh, Boilermakers? You know, that's a program that uh, can go under the radar for a period of time, but has come back exceptionally strong. They got a great coach in Matt Painter and uh, have been number one earlier this year, right in the mix. So uh, they've got to have high hopes for what's to come with the Big Ten tournament actually coming up early this year. It's uh, here pretty soon. Yeah, no, I, they've kind of hit a little bit of a, a, a lull here where they lost three in a row, and it was surprising. They lose a tough one at home to Ohio State. Kata Bates-Diop, who's probably the Big Ten player of the year, mm-hmm. tips tips in a, a shot at the buzzer to beat them, and then they go up to East Lansing and lose on a heartbreaking you know, 26-foot jumper from Miles Bridges, who's had a, a very good season as well. And they went up to Wisconsin and just didn't bring it. And if you don't bring it on the road, I don't care what conference it is, ACC, Big Ten, Mac, it does not matter. You go on the road and you don't bring your best effort, you're going to get beat. And they've learned some hard lessons. They've kind of bounced back. They beat Penn State. Um, but it's, it's kind of disappointing in the sense that they, they probably are not going to win the Big Ten unless Michigan State stumbles here. But they're still a lot to play for. They're a really talented team. Um, got their, their starting foreman is banged up right now, Vince Edwards. If they can get him back and healthy and in the mix, they, they're going to have a chance to go to the Final Four. Shows you how smart I am. The, I know that that Wisconsin game was last Thursday because we were doing Coach Beheim's radio show and a fan came up and said hello and, Coach, good luck, you know, but I'm a Wisconsin fan. What's happened to my Badgers this year? Blah, blah, blah. And the guy walks away. And <laughs> things I, I, have turned. They've beaten <laughs> Purdue and then beat Minnesota in overtime last night. So good, I turned, good things ahead for the Badgers. I said, I turned to Coach like, man, they, boys, Wisconsin's crushed Syracuse the last two years. I'm yeah, thinking, right. uh, gee, they're not even competitive this year. They got, you know, Jay happy. Yeah. The guy's a hell of a player. And, and then, boom, that night they, they beat Purdue, and then they're right back uh, on the map. So how yeah, cool would it have been? Uh, you're a Big Ten guy. Would you have enjoyed uh, the tournament being in the Garden as it's about to be? Um, yeah, I, I love Madison Square Garden. I've, I had two very different 
um, I guess, experiences there. As a college player, we played in the preseason NIT there my sophomore year. We played Blake Griffin. Both of our teams were ranked in the top 15. There was probably 2,000 people there. Mm. So to me, I was like, the Garden is really overrated. I didn't think it was cool. When I get in the NBA, I'm in Minnesota my first year, and we were 3-0, and and the Knicks were 4-0. and Coming into a Saturday night game in New York City, it was with Amari and Carmelo, and the team was the next team was supposed to be really good and contend in the East. And Saturday night, there is no place better. I was like, this is a million times different than what I saw in college. So I've seen the NCAA tournament games on TV there, and obviously I grew up watching the Big East tournament when the Big East was the Big East. And yeah, I mean, I would have loved it. And if if the Big Ten can fill it, I'm for it. But if it's going to be a, a lackluster crowd, then they should keep it in Indian Chicago. Yeah, I'm with um, you on that. But, but I, I think if they can get it full and you can get that type of atmosphere, that's a special building. Okay, very cool, man. Uh, good to visit with you. We'll catch up uh, off the air here soon enough, but I uh, appreciate your insights on Carolina, and we'll uh, keep watching. Best of luck, okay? Yeah, thanks, Matt. That's Robbie Hummel of uh, ESPN. So his uh, insights on Carolina and the ACC, for that matter. We'll have our own certainly off the game tonight. We'll talk with Mike Waters of Syracuse.com on the show tomorrow. Back with more, including Do We Care from Joe when we continue. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. Raising a puppy and raising a child are very interesting. Talk a lot about pee and poop. That's basically what it comes down to. The first two years of a child's life and the first year or so, maybe a little less than that, of a puppy, it all comes down to pee and poop. Did the puppy pee? Did the puppy poop? Did the puppy pee? Did the puppy poop? She pee? She poop? On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. The former president of the Dallas Mavericks is being accused of inappropriate behavior. Reports say Tredema Usri made sexually suggestive comments and even became physical with numerous women during his 18 years with the team. Usri left in 2005. Mavericks owner Mark Cuban says he was unaware of any of the allegations. Well, obviously this is terrible. I think what you're seeing now is... A lot of these things coming to light and what it's going to happen finally is that organizations like this are going to have different policies in place to make everybody aware when there's ongoing uh, allegations, innuendo, suggestions that Mark, this never rose to Mark Cuban's level. The guy was uh, second in command under him. Um, That's a bad deal. It means people were, uh, did not feel comfortable to uh, tell him about it. Uh, Cuban claims that he asked, hey, is there anything I should know about this? And and it was never brought to his attention. Now, he hasn't worked for the team uh, the last handful of years. He's bounced around to a couple of other organizations. And my understanding, based on the Sports Illustrated reporting, he's moved on from them under uh, somewhat questionable uh, circumstances. This is a guy who I'd never heard of, but uh, just reading some of the background was very highly thought of at uh, one time and, and potentially even a commissioner candidate in the NBA. And... Uh, Obviously, he has uh, problems that need to be addressed, and the Mavericks have got to do something to clean it up. The Mavericks apparently have fired their HR head, who was in charge of the HR department at that time. So, 
After three decades on the air at ESPN, Mike Patrick is leaving the network. The 73-year-old had been with ESPN since 1982 and last handled play-by-play duties December 30th for the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. In honor of his long career, ESPN is running a day-long tribute to Patrick. We have it on ESPN. I know. Right? I haven't seen a word about it. <laughs> what, are they replaying the Liberty Bowl? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, Mike Patrick, uh, by uh, every measure that I'm aware of or people hear from class act been there a long time was uh there in the early days when ESPN had some NFL games on Sunday nights and and that type of thing he's uh done a little bit less work here in recent years but a folksy guy had been around uh, the ACC a long time did many many Duke North Carolina games many ACC tournaments and a number of other things uh, of ladies been kind of uh, passed over I think by uh, some younger people and that type of thing, but uh, those that worked with him uh, have a lot of great things to say about Mike Patrick. I don't know that I've ever actually met him in person, maybe just once, and and uh, we wish him uh, the best in his retirement. And a runaway cow in Poland is still on the loose. Officials say the cow escaped while being taken to a slaughterhouse in January. Officials now say that when the cow is caught, it will remain free in an animal reserve. That's a moving story. <laughs> Still on the loose? Like You don't think it could have been caught in the time that it took you to write this? No, it, it has not been caught. In fact, it's become almost like a folk hero in uh, in it, Poland. People are, are following this story. I mean, you printed this out 15 minutes ago or, or more or yeah. before the start of the show, so it was 40 minutes ago. It doesn't take that long to catch a cow. Apparently in Poland it does. Has anybody is that a Polish joke? That is not Joe, a Polish joke. What, what are you no. trying to say? No. Has anybody spotted the cow recently? Does the oh. cow have spots? Is that what you're going yeah. in that vein uh, there? Oh, my. Yeah. This story's utterly ridiculous. All right. In the trash it goes. Do we care? I'm going to milk these jokes oh, as long hey. as I can. For the love of Christ. Promo. All, All right. right. Enough of this bull. <laughs> Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's, love it for a slice. They have real mozzarella there, Cam. Oh. All right, let's move on. I was going to say, hoof it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Joe, I would say Joe's not had a strong week when it comes to the, <laughs> the do we cares. No, but never have I been more happy to throw something out. Okay. See you, Joe. Great contribution as usual. <laughs> I try. Outstanding segment. All right, back with more. Looking ahead to the game when we come back. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is the Burdick Toyota SU Basketball Pregame Show with Danny Shays. We've talked all along that I think Matt Moyer has a lot more contribution than we've seen. He's he's big, he's athletic, he's great going to the rim, decent shooter, aggressive offensively. One hour before tip, get all the latest news and info. The Burdick Toyota SU Basketball Pregame Show with Danny Shays. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This Saturday, it's Syracuse Lacrosse right here on ESPN 97.7. The Orange welcome Army West Point at 2. Orange pregame at 1.30. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio, Syracuse, brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. Back tomorrow to rehash tonight's game with Mike Waters at uh, 2.15 tomorrow. And then uh, Friday we'll get set for the Orange and Duke. That's a 6.15 game on Saturday night. Talked a little bit about the uh, Major League Baseball pace of play regulations. 
that uh, have been instituted for this year, kind of a half measure, no pitch clock. Uh, some thought that a pitch clock wouldn't have been that impactful anyway. This uh, limit on trips to the mound is a step in the right direction, but I'd like to know how many games, nobody tracked that ever before, but how many trips games were more than six trips to the mound. That's probably just a few individual uh, pitchers and catchers that uh, would violate that to begin with. We'll see if that makes things snappy. But now it's just kooky talk. Now uh, baseball's or either reporters or people are trying to mix it up. This idea they're putting forth now that people are actually talking about. Now maybe they had a brainstorming session and, hey, there's no bad ideas here. What do you got, fellas? Somebody suggested this, and, and I'd love to know to what degree this is actually being talked about. But some thought in baseball about a rule that would allow you in the ninth inning to bat any three players that you would like to bat instead of the order. No. <laughs> That's even crazier than the, you know, once you get to the 12th inning to speed the game up, you know, put a runner at second base. I could almost come around to that. That's cheating. Well, one of the things about baseball that sets it apart from the other sports is you go in your turn. You know, LeBron James can take over a game. Any team LeBron goes to is instantly better because he's there. In baseball, if it's, you know, 7-8-9 in the batting order, 7-8-9 have got to do something if you're down a run in the bottom of the ninth inning. It's it's their turn. They're exposed uh, to think that, oh, well, now we go to uh, the bottom of the ninth. And I don't know that this is actually really seriously being considered, so I don't want to uh, get too far off on it, but... Uh, just got. I'd heard about it earlier today or maybe yesterday and then an alert uh, in the phone just now. Baseball executives considering. So, come on. That, that one to me is uh, over the line. Why well, have managers in? Making yeah, right. lineups. Well, the managers, would they would be the ones who would decide, I guess. Yeah. So these are the three hitters we're going to go. We're going to restack our lineup come the, uh, come the ninth inning. It would make the losing team more competitive in the ninth, that's for sure. Um I did hear this said this morning on the uh, Golick and Wingo show, which I agree with, and it speaks well of basketball. I 100% believe uh, Trey Wingo's point. He was saying of Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, look, for this guy, nothing is sacred. He is willing to shake it up. He's willing to look at other ideas. They're talking about gambling. They're talking about, uh, you know, obviously the way they did the All-Star game this year was new. Uh, maybe reshuffling the playoffs uh, come the postseason, doing away with uh, the conferences or divisions. Uh, that is how true leaders, you know, or, or idea people, that's how they get through stuff. It's not, well, we do it this way because that's the way we've always done it, uh, which is very much a baseball thing. I do think Rob Manfred, who has uh, ties to Central New York, a degree from Cornell, he's from Rome, I think he's more willing than his predecessor, Bud Selig, to kind of kick the tires on different ideas and and consider different stuff but that one to me i know i we both do probably probably we we risk sounding like the old men on the porch here but uh the idea of just put up whoever you want to in the ninth inning that's not baseball no and if you're up five runs you could just pile on too Right, if you get to the ninth, yeah, inning. I don't know if it would. You know, again, if you're just making up rules, is it only for the losing team or is it? Yeah, you, you know. So, you know, well, here's the thing too: does it have to be three hitters? What if, uh, 
you know, we're watching the Yankees obviously closely. What if your hitters, uh, the first guy you say, well, I want Aaron Judge up there. He hits a home run. Do you get Aaron Judge again? You know, well, maybe it's another home run. You know, that that uh, to me seems like it, it changes the game. So uh, It'll also affect batting averages and sure. stuff like that. So, you know, like a guy could get well, more 162 at more at-bats every Potentially. You know, season. So Yeah. Um, don't know that I'm down with that. The agents might be for for uh, reasons like that. That'd be the rich, kind of the rich get richer. All right, we got a little sound from uh, Coach Beheim. Uh, not a huge uh, revelation here in terms of uh, how he's viewing this uh, stretch run of the season. But the Orange clearly have gotten better. Uh, they you know won three out of four here and in position with these final four to if you win you know two or three of those uh, certainly to step in the right direction in terms of solidifying the NCAA tournament resume. I think you have to improve every game you play, every practice. We're getting better. We've got to continue to get better, and really in all aspects of the game. We've got a lot of young guys that are getting there. They're, they are improving, but they've still got to get better. It's undeniable how much improvement there has been over the course of this season from when you look at it, nobody is a finished product. The closest to it would be Tyus Battle. Other people, you, you know, you look at Frank Howard, it's his first time playing this position with this type of workload. He's improved over the course of the season. It wasn't long ago he was making, you know, five and six turnovers on a regular basis in a game. In three of the last four games, he's made only one turnover. Uh, had only one turnover in 40 minutes against a five foot seven defender in the last game. That's pretty impressive. Marek Dolajai, when you first laid eyes on him, well, how's this guy going to play in a major conference? And he's taken his bumps and had growing pains, but has found a way. And in the last game, scored a little bit more. But uh, game in and game out has done something. He crashes the glass. He uh, makes a nice pass. He's confident with the ball. Uh, Now that he's shown he can shoot it a little bit, it forces the defense uh, to defend him, which might open up uh, something else. O'Shea Brissett is a freshman had a period at the start of the conference season, didn't rebound like he did back in November and December against the lesser teams. But now he's coming on and he's finding a way. Had 12 boards the last game. The Orange did not get much from their centers last game. They'll play against a relatively small by North Carolina standards team here tonight. As uh, Robbie Hummel talked about, Luke May is full grown. He's a former walk-on. His father played football as a quarterback in the mid-80s at North Carolina. And so he's a walk-on type and I don't know at what point he was given a scholarship. It may have been right even before he ever enrolled, but he certainly would have been willing to walk on and has gone from just a guy to a key player on a Final Four run, a national championship run, and uh, averaging a double-double this year in the ACC as a junior. So he's a stud. Joel Berry is a very experienced uh, point guard, and uh, the Orange Guards will have their work cut out for him in that one tonight. So looking forward to it. We'll visit with uh, Roy Williams pregame and uh, Coach Bayheim, of course, as always with our Syracuse game day program and orange pregame beginning at 5:30. What you're feeling? I don't know that I feel super great about this one. I, I they absolutely can win it. Um I, I think I felt better about Syracuse beating North Carolina a, a couple weeks ago maybe, but then it, Syracuse wasn't playing as well. Syracuse is playing better than they were a couple weeks ago and North Carolina obviously is too. I think Early in the season, North Carolina looked like they just maybe had some holes. Their heads weren't in it. They could be gotten. 
and they were gotten, you know, a couple times by NC State, by Virginia Tech, and uh, so they've woken up to that. They're playing very well. They're not going to score. I don't think they're going to run away and put up an 80-piece on Syracuse, you know, and last year they did. Last year's game was so weird. It was Tyler Lydon against the world. He had 26 points and almost single-handedly, you know, kept them in the game. Turned out to be a 17-point game as Carolina pulled away down the stretch. But outside of Lydon, the rest of the team shot 33%, and uh, Syracuse got crushed on the boards, uh, minus 20 in that department. They'll rebound with them much better tonight. Uh, Syracuse, for the year, has been a pretty decent rebounding team. For a while in the non-conference, they were plus 10. Now they're plus 5.5 or so per game on the boards, ranking 33rd in the country. Carolina number one in the country in uh, that department. So uh, hope everybody gets up to the Dome tonight. Looks like a little mist. You'll have to uh, work your way through. But uh, looking forward to seeing the biggest crowd of the season to date. Uh, although I'm not sure it'll beat the Virginia crowd, but maybe it will. Uh, hard to duplicate that on a weeknight to get in that neighborhood of 27, 28,000. But hopefully Carolina brings them out. There'll be plenty of Carolina fans there today. Went to lunch, and the guy behind the counter was in a Carolina Michael Jordan throwback T-shirt. I thought that was a little unacceptable, untoward. But, uh, you know, you do you, man. You do you. And uh, he did tell somebody who'd asked about it that he rooted for Syracuse every other day of the year. But uh, he wants to be a Carolina Jordan guy. Then, uh, then let him, and we'll see how it shakes out tonight. All right, thanks to Joe and Polly and the whole gang. Thanks to you for listening. Talk to you tomorrow here in the booth at 2 o'clock on ESPN Radio Syracuse.